Well, let's take our Bibles tonight to two different places. First, Thessalonians chapter 5 and Joshua chapter 14. And the, the, uh, as far as I know, this is the last in the series of Philadelphians living in Laodicea. And um, I said that to Brother Ron, and he said, oh, yeah, right, you say that, and then you'll have another one. So I don't know if that's true or not, but I will say this, Lord willing, I will be gone next week and uh, we'll be on vacation. We'll be there. We'll be on vacation. Really, we don't normally do this, but we'll be gone for uh, went from Wednesday to Wednesday. And it, that means we'll miss a Wednesday, a Sunday and a Wednesday. And so I won't be surprised to hear that the church entirely dries up and blows away. But uh, at least we'll be far enough away from the blast. And so... That uh, hopefully, hopefully uh, Brother Ron will be preaching next week, so that will probably be the last service that we have at Hope Baptist Church. Um, but uh, then uh, Brother Matt Marshall is going to preach the following Wednesday night. And then on Sunday, Brother Caleb will be preaching, and then Brother John Roquet as well. So you can do, like a lot of Baptists, pick and choose which service you want to come to based on who you like. And uh, that's one of the classics. Who's preaching on what, what night? And I want to know whether or not I should follow the Lord and go to church, um, or whether I just can do whatever, what, like I normally do, whatever I want to do. And uh, I'm just teasing you tonight. But uh, so, so that will be uh, just so you have that heads up and um, looking forward to, um, to going away and pray because it's something that uh, can, it, it's always helpful to me getting perspective. I don't know why, but I, I think maybe just because I was raised on the road traveling, I have, I have an affinity for new, different places and things like that. And uh, so I do, it is helpful when I go away. I hope that it's uh, going to be helpful to the church when we come back as well. We've been talking about Caleb and we've talked about how he had another spirit and how his mindset was different than those in his generation and how he had the ability to be faithful over the long haul. We also talked about the other generation, the, the, the men and women who rebelled against the Lord and would not believe his promise when it came to going into the land of Canaan. And they simply did not do it. And it is interesting to note that when they say, we are afraid to do it, God says, you are disobedient. And it's important for us to keep that, keep that in mind that sometimes we think, well, I'm not saying no, God, I'm just afraid. And the Lord says it's the same thing. Isn't that interesting? We, I don't necessarily like that truth, but that is what he said in Joshua, and Judges rather. That is what he said, that you rebelled against the Lord. It's interesting, too, after they, they said, we're not going to do it, we can't do it, we're afraid, the giants are too big. And then the Lord said, okay, well, you're going to go in the wilderness. And then they said, well, okay, well, we'll go now. We'll do it. And the Lord didn't show them the punishment until after they refused to do it. And so he didn't give them an opportunity to, to, to choose between wandering in the wilderness and going to the promised land. He said, go in. They said, no. And he said, go out in the wilderness. We're going to look tonight about really kind of a wrap-up of the whole season of Caleb's life from the time he was 40 until the time he was 85. And the title is How to Finish Like Caleb. And we're going to look at these two passages. I think you'll find there's a lot of parallels here. 
between the church age in which we live and this time frame of the conquering of the land of Canaan. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians. Hold your place there in Joshua chapter 4. Let, let, let's start out in Joshua 14, forgive me. Joshua 14. And then we're going to go right into 1 Thessalonians 5. Joshua 14. Did I tell you 4? Okay, another failure. Joshua 14 and 1 Thessalonians 5. Here's the testimony of Caleb. Verse 7. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. A spy is the same as spy. To spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, ever since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. The word lo is short for look. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now. How many years later is this? Forty-five years later. Even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore... Give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in the day that how in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Now it is interesting here in verse eleven. He said, "I'm still as strong as I was back in that day." There was only one witness to that, by the way. Joshua. <laughs> Everybody else was dead, right? And so maybe that's an easy one to pull off. I'll tell you, in high school, I could bench 300 pounds. It's easy to say when there's nobody around that remembers you from high school, right? But I think that, that uh, given the testimony that follows, it is true that Caleb was as strong now as he was then. Now let's take our Bibles and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. Did you notice what he said I am now four score and five years old. I'm still as strong as I was. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. And he's talking to Joshua. He said, give me this mountain. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5. And again, keep your place in Joshua because we will be going back and forth between those two places. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He, he, he says here, we won't, we won't take the time to read all of the, this, a lot, a lot of good things in verses one, two, three, and so forth. But let's, let's jump into verse number five. He says, ye are, ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. There's a difference between these two groups of people. Therefore, because we are the children of light, because we are the children of the day, therefore, let us not sleep as do others. But let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. They acclimate to the conditions around them. It's nighttime, so they have to sleep. It's nighttime, and so they're drunk. That's what everybody around them is doing. But he says here, 
verse number 8, but let us who are of the day. In verse 5, he said, we're children of the day. Children of the day. What does that mean? In, in heaven, there is no light needed. There's no nighttime there because the Lamb of God is the light thereof. We have the Lamb of God. We have the light of the world in us. So we don't have to be affected by the environment around us. We can be children of the day all the time because we're not powered by the culture around us. We're powered by the Son of God. He's inside. We're children of the day. So he said, let us who are of the day be sober. This is part of the reason that Caleb was able to pull this off for 45 years because of his ability to remain sober. Now, of course, we have the contrast with drunkenness. And and by the way, you shouldn't get, be getting drunk. I mean, do we have to say that anymore? We do, don't we? There's a lot of people that, that think it's okay to get drunk, to drink, go down that path. Hey, he said, let's avoid that. We're, that's not our environment. That, that's like putting a, a, a goldfish in a bucket of ink. He's not going to do well. You, you and I are not of this world. And you're looking forward to Friday, and that's how you live your life. I'm looking forward to just crashing. You ever feel that way? You know, it's the devil that tells you you don't have enough strength. Now, if you're physically tired, you need to sleep. Yes, you do. But if you know, in your, you ever feel like in, in the middle of the day, I just can't wait until work is over so I can crash. And then when you go home and crash, your mind doesn't stop. And you're like, I got to go do something else. I can't stop thinking. I got it. You're never at rest. You know why that is? Because your inside is in conflict with your outside. The outside is telling you, you need to relax, you need to calm down, you need to chill. That's what? That's how people make money. Through drugs, alcohol, everybody's smoking weed all the time. We just need to relax. Now, there are some people that have reasons. I can understand. If I was in the trouble they're in, I'd be looking for some kind of substance to calm me down. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying I understand now more than ever the kind of pressure people are under. But we're children of the day. We, we don't need things to calm us down. And if you need things to ch- help you chill out and calm down, I would say it's probably because you're living like a children, a, a child of the night, of the darkness. Not a child of the day. Someone who doesn't care whether the lights are on or off. It doesn't matter because I'm not looking to the external. I'm feeding off the internal. He says here, we are, we are all children of the day. So look at what he says now in verse number, verse number 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Man, it almost sounds like somebody's going to get in a fight. I can't imagine that we got a fight. What, what, are, what, in the, what are you talking? Have you noticed it's a war zone? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We are in a fight all of the time. The devil's coming after you. Unless you're floating down the river with everybody else, he's got, he'll, he'll leave you alone if you do that. But if you ever decide you're going to serve God, just buckle up. You're about to get attacked. And you're going to find yourself in the middle, in the middle of your day f- thinking thoughts 
that are dark, depressing, self-defeating. You're going to be mad and negative towards other people around you, and you're going to say, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. You're being attacked. You're being attacked. I, we were talking about, I was talking about this with uh, uh, Pastor Mike Reagan, and talking about how in, in the business world, we, we've got to be careful that we don't just equate the business world with the church. Because business principles and practices do work, and people use them all the time, multi-billion, trillion, I don't know how many companies there are out there. Have anybody reached a trillion? I don't think anybody yet, but multi-billion dollar companies out there. And, 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 and principles, you have to hire right, you have to get the right people on the bus, you've got to put the right people in the right seats on the bus, and all, you know, Jim Collins is there, and, and, and Peter Drucker is there for the nonprofits, and John Maxwell is still in there slugging, he's still getting a book a week out or something like that. And uh, all that stuff, it does work. The only thing about the major difference between the business world and the church is spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. There is an entity out there who has a vested interest in helping people continue to make money and do what they want to do because it keeps them away from God. There's an entity there out there who has a vested interest in keeping you from being happy, keeping you, believers, children of the day, from being joyful, from being prayer warriors, from being thankful. He is going to attack us in that way. And so you may hate your job. It's a great job, and you're one of the best employees, and you want to get out of there. Why? Why? What's the better job you want? I don't know. I just don't. Something's not right. If you don't know what's wrong, you need to step back and, and consider this could be spiritual warfare. If you don't know why your kids are acting the way they're acting or why you are acting the way you're acting, you've forgotten that you're in a war. So he said, what should we do? We should be sober. We should be serious. I guarantee you. If a rocket were to land outside this building, there would not be any smiles in this building. No one would be like, oh, those insurgents. <laughs> right? We would all be screaming. You know what? All mothers run to the nursery and to the kids' wing off right off the bat. We would be very serious about getting our loved ones and valuables to a safe place. Be sober. Why? We realize we're being attacked. We need to be sober. As believers, we need to recognize that we can't just laugh everything off. We can't just doom scroll our way through our Christian life. Someone is after you. Be sober. And, but here's the beautiful thing. It's not just be serious. They're coming. They're coming. They're coming to take you away. Right? He said, we have weapons. We have armor, a breastplate, faith and love. You know what Caleb did? Caleb never stopped fighting the good fight of faith. He had faith in what God had told him, and he kept fighting that fight. It was not the fight that he was expecting to fight. He was expecting to fight giants, and he was ready to fight them. But instead, he had to fight despair, discouragement, loss, attrition. Those were different battles. You know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be nice sometimes if you could just ball up your fist and just punch the devil in the face? Right? Or, or just find your ethereal, weird shadow problem that you can't get a hold of and just tie it up and choke it to death. You can't. 
That's not the weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You've got to hang on to the breastplate of faith and love. Faith and love and hope. Why? For God hath not appointed us to wrath. And we understand he's talking about the wrath in the tribulation. But may I remind you, God did not appoint you to wrath in your daily life either. The judge, either the judgment of God on you or the judgment of you on someone else. God is not looking for us to undergo despair and judgment and darkness without any end. He said that's not what God's appointed us to. He appointed us to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You know what God's doing for you? He's, he has guaranteed that, you're, that everything that you desire will come to pass in the future. Everything is going to happen just like you want. It is going to be better than you've ever imagined. And he has appointed that for you to obtain it. You know what Caleb said? He said, it's time for me to obtain this mountain. I've been fighting for 45 years and I didn't stand around and watch all of my high school die so that I could get nothing at the end of it. I want what I wanted. What I said I was going to get back then, I'm going to get today. You know how he got that? He got it through maintaining his faith, his love, and his hope. Do you have hope, Christian? Do you have any hope? Can I tell you this? Whether you think you have it or not, you got it. You've got hope. You ever find, you ever find out that you had more in your bank account than you thought? It's a very rare occurrence, isn't it? Normally, it's the other way around. But, you know, whether or not you thought what you had in the bank was accurate, whether or not it was accurate in your mind, it is what it is, right? And if you think you had very little in your bank account, but you actually had more, it didn't matter what you thought. It mattered what was actually there. Christian, it doesn't matter how much hope you have for the future. We have a blessed hope in Jesus Christ. He promised that he was going to save you from hell and he's going to take you to heaven. He's going to give you a brand new body. And he said, I make all things new. That's a promise. You can trust in that. You can't trust in anything in the stock market, right? You can't trust politicians. You can't trust, <laughs> you can't trust a lot of religious leaders. But I'll tell you, you can trust. You can trust God. And you can trust his word. We have hope because of what he promised. So never stop fighting the good fight of faith. It is a fight. It is a fight to maintain faith. Okay, now, something else he had to do. Learn to get along with others. It's going to be a long ride, so you better buckle up. And you may end up sitting next to someone on on the plane or on the bus who, as Dr. Gibbs said, might be perspiring with significance. Someone who is making your trip miserable. And you're going to be buckled in for a long time with them. You realize how many people Caleb had to watch die? How many funerals he attended? How many mourners he heard 
you know, doing the Middle Eastern morning cry. All those 40 years, he had to listen to that and watch them. And he had to see them get decrepit and old, you know, over the hill. Remember back when people used to say that and have their birthday parties, I'm over the hill. And I guess that's, you know, not cool anymore. But uh, he, I mean, they were over the hill. They went under the hill. They were buried under the hill. And he had to watch all that. But until they all died, he had to get along with a lot of different people for 45 years. So here's what, here's what Paul tells the Thessalonians. He's the Thessalonians. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 11, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. And I see this as getting along with your peers, people who are on your level, so to speak. Uh, Joshua chapter 14. Joshua 14, look at verse number 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal. And if you remember, back in Numbers, Caleb was the appointee as the spy for the tribe of... Does anyone remember? Starts with a J. Judah. Okay, so now notice, though, that Caleb's the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, and the children of Judah came unto Joshua. So he comes with them, but it looks like Caleb might be an adoptee, like brought into the tribe of Judah. You can check that out if you want, but Kenaz came from Edom, and he was not even in the Israelite family. Remember, he was the brother of Jacob. But uh, Jacob is the father and had all the, the 12 children of Israel. So Jacob and Esau, and Esau was the father somewhere, grandfather of Kenaz. And so somehow Caleb got brought into that thing. And it's a great picture of how you and I are adopted into the family and how we're given an inheritance and so forth. But, but, but notice here, he says in verse 6, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. So when, when Joshua and Caleb go in to search out the land, there were tr- how many spies? Twelve spies. How many of them were on the same page as far as what God said? Just two, Joshua and Caleb, right? And Moses said to, he, he said, you know the thing that the Lord, that the Lord said to Moses about you and I. That we're going to be able to go in there, find out what the land is and how good it is, come back and we're going to go and possess the land. But only Joshua was still alive. And, and, and so Joshua and, and Caleb had to get along. They started out and they got along pretty well. Notice what he says in First Thessalonians. He said, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. You know what you need to do as a member of this church? You need to comfort someone that's your peer and you need to edify that person. You need to, you need to seek to build them up. How do you build someone up? Well, you can do it through a kind word. You can do it through an encouraging word. You can say something like this. I'm praying for you if you are praying for him. Right? It's a classic Christian thing to say. I'll be praying about that. And it's like, goodbye. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> but we've got to make sure we're praying for people. But, but there's a lot of ways that you can build that person up. And here's what you might do. If you want to throw a dart in a dart at a dartboard, just put all the names of the people, the faces of the people, right? And just throw a dart against that person and their face. And then pray for them. 
You know, just randomly choose somebody. Just randomly. Oh, here's somebody. I'm going to pray for that person today. I'm joking. And now you don't really put the picture. Come on, ladies, stay with me now. (laughs) But you you want to find someone who is on your level, so to speak, and encourage them. You know what we do a lot of times? We envy the people that are our peers. We critique them. We don't talk to them. We think they have everything together. They have their own peer group. They have their own friend group. We don't need them. You ought to find somebody. You know, listen, I'm not talking about the leaders, the guys who want to be leaders. You don't need to worry about about that. You know, Joshua and Caleb are on the same level. They both were spies that God sent in, and God had different jobs for both of them. All they had to do was follow what God had for them. Get along with your peers. Hang out with somebody. Meet somebody that is that you don't know. Listen, if all, all church is to you is simply coming and listening to me talk, I hope that that will help you in your Christian life. That's my prayer. And I work to, to, to try to edify you and teach you the word of God. But, but that's not, he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. And he said, and exhorting one another and so much the more. It's not just coming together and listening to the preacher talk. It's also exhorting, which means encouraging, helping to bring them out of, their, of themselves. That literally, like horticulture, X meaning out, hort meaning like horticulture, draw them out like a plant. Help them grow like you might put a plant in a, in a greenhouse. You want to help bring them up, edify, build them up. Who are you thinking about edifying? Who have you talked to? A lot of times what happens in church, people come in and they listen and they've done their duty and they go out. And thank God, you need the preaching of the Word of God. I mean, if you had to choose anything for church, I'd say you need the preaching of the Word of God. But it's not just that. There's a lot more to it. And it's like saying, which of your kids do you want? Which one? Choose one. I mean, it all comes in the package. You need to find somebody that you are praying about. And I'll tell you this. When you are genuinely concerned for someone else, in that window of time, you are not concerned for yourself. When you are genuinely thinking about someone else and praying for their problems, it is in that sliver of time, even for a millisecond, that you're not focused on yourself. And boy, isn't that a relief. Man, when you can think about somebody else's problems for a while. It's like the guy said, I'm tired of talking about me. Why don't you talk about me for a while? (laughs) All right. Get along with your peers. And then verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians 5, get along with your authorities, those who are over you. He said, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Caleb and Joshua started out as peers, but Joshua got promoted above all the rest of the spies, above all the soldiers, above all the Israelites. Joshua was put on another place. Why? The Bible says in Joshua 4 that the Lord magnified Joshua. Why? It made, it made Joshua easier to follow. God lifted him up so that it was easier to see him, easier to respect him, 
and, and, and easy to follow him. And he was a good military leader. But do you ever think about how it w- might have been difficult for Caleb to go from peer to follower? That it, I mean, what makes you special, Joshua? We both went in. We, we were both sympathetic to one another in our hearts. We were in sync. We were like, yeah, let's do this. Everybody else, what makes you different for me? Guys, if you're going to make it over the long haul, you're going to have to recognize that, that God is involved in who does what and where. If you get hung up on, well, that's not fair. Well, who gives them the right? What makes them so special? It's going to hinder you from being able to go the distance. If you, ha- if you look at your peers and you see God using someone in a way that maybe you'd like to get used, or maybe people say, boy, she sure is a blessing, and you kind of think in your heart, well, I'm kind of a blessing too. Well, maybe you are, but maybe she is too. We've got to watch our hearts. And Joshua, and Joshua was, I mean, they, they, were, they were in the same bunkhouse, it wasn't like Joshua said, everybody up in the morning. I mean, they were in the same bunkhouse together. And now Joshua's the guy that's saying, all right, I want everybody here at 0300 in the morning. We're going to all, like, who are you? I know you. I mean, it'd be like somebody from your high school becoming the mayor of Toledo. Even worse, someone from your class becoming the mayor. You're just looking at them. What if they became the president of the United States? You'd be always, anytime you saw them, you'd be like, Yes, Mr. President. I mean, you have a really hard time, right? Because we kind of think that it's all about what we want and what we go after and what we get as Americans. We think you got to go after what you want. The truth is, when it comes to the things of God, God has divided unto every man severally as he will. And he gives gifts to different people that put them in different places. The ministry is not about position. The ministry is about your gift from God. What has God gifted you to do? And if you ever think that somehow the, the pastorate or uh, the, the accompanist or the choir or the, the deacon or whatever is somehow better than you are, you misunderstand the concept of spiritual gifts. It's not about that. What, is, what God has given you is a gift that he has given to no one else. Even if you wanted to be someone else, and have another gift, you wouldn't be able to do it because God hasn't given you that gift. He's given you what you want, uh, what he wants for you to have. So what should we do? Well, we should, number one, verse 12, we should know them. Should know them. And then number two, verse 13, we should esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And then why does he have to tack this on and be at peace among yourselves? Because he knows human nature. You ever work with somebody who got promoted above you? You know what, what happens there? This is where military men and women do very well. They salute the rank, even if they don't like the person. They salute the rank. It's really, really important to get that down. Why? Because you will be frustrated. You might be a a wife who's frustrated with an inept husband as you see him. And maybe he is inept. 
Ladies, you know what you need to do? You need to salute the rank. Not worry about his nonsense, bumbling, idiot, tomfoolery. No, you salute the rank. Why? Because it's God-ordained. And I can tell you this. If you salute an idiot because God put him there, God will bless you in spite of the idiot. Over and over and over again. I've seen, I've seen God do it in people's lives. And it's such a blessing. But, but, but this is some of the lessons that, that Caleb had to learn over these 45 years. So get along with your peers. Get along with your authorities. Get along with tough cases. Look at verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. People who don't follow rules. They are unruly. Well, I just kind of live my life just kind of like whatever, free-range, organic life. What is it? He said, warn them. Now, we exhort. Let me ask you this. This is who talking as far as the human author. Paul is writing to whom? To the Thessalonians. And he says to the brethren, not to the pastors, the leaders, I'm sure they're included. Not to the deacons, I'm sure they're included. He said, brethren, warn them that are unruly. So that's why I call it a tough case. You know, we all like to say, well, I'm not saying nothing, man. I, what's the guy, Keen Yon or something that has the hidden camera show, what would you do? What's his name? I can't remember. Quinones is that what it is? And, and it, you know, you see somebody getting beat up or a little kid getting mistreated, and it's, there's a, a camera on people as they go by, right? And the idea is, what, what would you do if you were in that situation? You know what most people do? They walk by and ignore it like it didn't happen. But the Lord tells us as brethren, as children of God, we need to warn them that are unruly. Now, what does that come down to? Well, I'm not going to give you all the particulars, just the concept. You ought to have that. If you see someone doing something that is against the rules, you ought to be willing to say something. If you're afraid to say something, who's going to say it? You think, well, I'm not in charge. No, but that's a rule. And you recognize that it's a rule. You know what you would do? You would stop a little kid from running out into traffic, right? Listen, why don't you just mind your own business? Isn't that interesting? Now, I, I'm just telling you, it's something as believers that he told us to do. Warn them. He didn't say dominate them and yell and scream at them. He said warn them. Hey, that's probably not wise to do. Christians, we need to get some grit in our teeth instead of, instead of just backing into the shadows. Well, Lord will sort it all out. He put us here to sort some things out. Amen. Amen. It's not, it's obviously, it's, it's not an easy thing. That's why I said it's a tough case. But he said, warn the unruly. Here's one that might be easier for you or diff- more difficult. Comfort the feeble-minded. Feeble-minded. What's that? People who, who are not strong in their thought process. What should you do? Well, you should rebuke them. You should call them out. You should say, man up. Let's go. Stop being a wimp. Now this one, this one is tough especially for men who like to to get things done. He said, comfort them. Put your arm around them and say, it's hard, isn't it? I'm a a fixer, and I'm telling you, this is something that my wife has tried to teach me for 20-something years. 
not to fix things. I don't know about you, but it, when, when I'm sitting there listening to something, I want to solve it, solve it, solve it, and then solve it, and solve it, solve it, so it's done. So we don't have to sit here feeling like we're helpless idiots. We're not victims. We can conquer. We can win. We can beat this thing. We can, I'll get a hold of that thing, and what I do to that thing will be nobody's business. Right? I don't want you to do anything about it. I want you to listen. You know why the Lord gives a man a wife? So that he can learn how to comfort people. I'm not saying my wife is feeble-minded. Don't say I said that. (laughs) My wife is actually very strong-minded. But it's interesting, in the areas where I'm strong, she's not as strong, and vice versa. Have you noticed that in your marriage? So we should learn to comfort those who are feeble-minded. Then he goes on in in verse 14, he says, support the weak. Support. Help to prop them up, those who are falling those who are failing physically, spiritually, financially, support them. And then one that we don't really have to even probably include, be patient toward all men. Okay, next up. <laughs> Listen, this is how you survive 45 years in the wilderness. You learn how to get along with people. you got to learn how to get along with difficult people. If I had my way... There wouldn't be any difficult people. I would be by myself, and I'm very easy to get along with. By myself. I'm, I do well with myself. But God doesn't say you're allowed to be a, a hermit. He wants us to come together. He wants us to come together. And he wants us to hang out with one another and edify one another and comfort and warn one another. To exhort, to encourage. Who are you intentionally trying to hang out with? to be a blessing to. Now listen, some people, they they think it's their gift to coach everyone through their Christian life. So they're just looking for people to be on on their team so they can tell them the place to run. Listen, here's the thing. If if you want to be a coach, wait until people ask you to coach them. That's kind of a rule of thumb. If you want a coach, then go find a coach. If you want to be a coach, wait until somebody asks you to be a coach. It's important. But you can be a comforter. You can be a warner. You can be an exhorter. This is how Caleb got along. I don't think Caleb maintained a positive can-do attitude by distancing himself from the rest of Israel as they all died. He would have been negative. He would have been caustic. And you watch. When he comes to the end of his, of his life ready to conquer, he's positive. His, his, he's saying, hey, who wants to, who, I'll give you my daughter. Go out and get him. Well, his, his uh, nephew ends up going out there. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what happened there. Or his brother, actually, I think it was. Caleb's brother, his younger brother, actually won his daughter. I'm not sure what was happening there. So maybe he did lose a few things in the wilderness. I don't know. He lost it. Okay, let's get back on track here. Here's another one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15. We're going to go to Joshua 14 in just a moment. Don't try to right wrongs. Stay on mission. He says in verse 15, See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. You know what the Bible says about Caleb over and over again? He wholly followed the Lord. He did not get sidetracked with personal vendettas, 
He didn't follow well-meaning people because there were 10 other well-meaning people. They all agreed together. He didn't follow them. He didn't follow those personal vendettas. He didn't get mad at the families who ruined his opportunity for victory. He, He stayed on mission. He didn't even follow nostalgia. I mean, can you imagine the, uh, the sense of loss? All the people who had been in slavery, who came through all the ten plagues of Egypt, then went in through the Red Sea, and, and all of the manna and the quail and the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, all the people, that he remembered those days, the song of Miriam as they sang the victory over Pharaoh, all of that stuff was in his mind, but, but he wasn't living back there and this is hard. This is a hard thing to do because we know what God did for us in the past. And it was wonderful, but it will never be repeated. That's the hardest thing. It will never be repeated. And if we're not careful, the, the spirit of depression will say, yeah, it'll never be good. Or, it'll never be good again. No, that's not what I said. I said, what God did there, if it was God, and that would be the reason why it was so wonderful, Right. It was God. If God did that, he will never repeat that again. Why? Different people, different time. God's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He said, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not I was, I am. So what God can do today and what God can do in the future, it, it could be better. Hey, you know, the old guys wept when they saw the, the foundation of the new temple laid. But you know what? That is what God was doing then. Why did they weep? They wept because they remembered the glory of the old days. May I remind you that God was not living back there. Though it was not as big, it was what God was doing now. And that's one of the challenges that that we face if we're going to make it through 45 years in the wilderness, recognizing that God, what God did back then, he's not going to do again. It's going to be a different thing. Why? Because God said, when he gets finished with the earth, he said, I make all things new. Well, what about Toledo? That was kind of a cool place. I mean, the Alps. I mean, what about, oh, how about San Dimas, California? That was a nice area. Baja California. These are beautiful areas in the world. No, the Lord said, burn it all. I'm done with it all. I'm going to make everything new. Why? He's the God of the living. He's the God of today. And the more we think of him as the God of the past, the more depressed we get. Especially if you believe the lie that God will never do that again. That's not really a lie. What we're saying, if we're saying that God could never do anything amazing again, that's a lie. It is true that God's not going to do that again. And the more that we get stuck looking back and saying, why, when, come on, Lord, please, if we could just get back to that, we're not going to. We're not going to. This is how you make it 45 years. You, you, you've got to stop trying to right wrongs, and you've got to stay on mission. By the way, how do you verify whether you're on mission or not? Look at Joshua chapter 14. How do you verify whether you're on mission? There's three areas in Joshua 14 that give us a clue as to who verified whether Caleb actually wholly followed the Lord. To stay on mission is to follow the Lord 
with your spirit, soul, and body to get locked in. Here, here's, here's three, three points of testimony. First of all is the testimony of yourself. Notice chapter 14, verse 8. Caleb speaking, nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord, my God. Personal integrity. You know who knows whether you have integrity? You do. You know whether you have integrity. You know whether you're following the Lord. Now, you might comfort yourself with this idea that, well, other people think that I'm following the Lord. But you know whether you are. He said, I have wholly followed the Lord. The second one is there in, uh, in verse number 9. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. That is the testimony of Caleb's spiritual authority. Moses, thou hast wholly followed. Moses said it, not just Caleb. You might think, well, I, I, I know, I'm, I'm completely right behind God. I'm, what, what does your authority say? In Moses' case, Moses said, yes, you have wholly followed the Lord. Then there's a third one. Look at Joshua 14, verse 14. It says, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. That's the testimony of the Holy Spirit. That's from outside God saying, yep, he wholly followed the Lord. You can, you can line those three things up and use them as markers to determine whether or not you really are. God, am I wholly following you? If you're honest and open, the Lord will show you. I didn't say, God, am I sinless? Have I been sinless the last seven days? No, you haven't. And by the way, if you're seeking for that, you're hurting, you're hurting your walk with the Lord. If you're seeking this purity that says, I haven't sinned in the last three days, and so I think I'm okay with God, you're only okay with God because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason you ever have and I ever have to approach the throne of grace. It's not the, it's not the throne of works. It's the throne of grace. It's God's grace. However... I know whether or not I really want to follow God. And you know who knows when I don't know? God knows. And then if I'm so deceived that I'm able to imitate the voice of God in my own head, some Christians do this because they want God to say something, so God always happens to agree with them somehow. You know, I feel like this is the way God is leading me. You know, a third external is your authority. Talk to somebody else that would be able to say whether or not it's true. And that'll help you. You see, Caleb stayed on mission, but it wasn't just his mission that he determined whether or not he was winning or losing. He had other people that were following his progress. And Joshua agrees with that. When you get to Joshua chapter 14, Caleb said, hey, you remember what Moses said to us? I'm about to go get me a mountain. And Joshua said, you deserve it. You've been faithful. I've watched you. You have followed the Lord holy. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're, we're coming down to the last three points here in 1 Thessalonians. He says in verse number 16, uh, the, the, the point here is perform regular maintenance on yourself. You could take verses 16 through 22 
and look at it every day. And if you were following these things, you would be in pretty, I would say you're in pretty good shape. Look what he says. Rejoice evermore. How much joy did you have today? If you don't have joy, it's because you followed circumstances instead of the words of God. Okay? Uh, pray without ceasing. Are you continue, continuing to pray in your life? Verse 18. In everything, give thanks. I'm just seeking for God's will. Here it is. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Concerning who? You. It's concerning you. This is what God is saying. God's will is for you to give thanks. Are you giving thanks? Have you given God thanks today? Verse 19, quench not the spirit. What does that mean? Let the spirit lead as he wants. Don't tell the Holy Spirit what he can and cannot do in this culture, what he can and cannot do in your home, in your heart, in your marriage, with your children. Don't tell the Holy Spirit what he can do. Don't quench him. Don't dry him out. Don't drown him out. You want to leave room. The wind bloweth where, where, bloweth where it listeth. That, that means the Holy Spirit does what he wants. We sometimes think that, that I had a great quote my brother sent me uh, yesterday about the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we sometimes begrudge what we see as the arbitrary nature of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about charismatic Pentecostal craziness. This is, this is right here in the Bible. He said, quench not the Spirit. Are you being guided by the Spirit? As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. God wants to lead you. That doesn't mean blow around. That means as you're reading His Word and praying and yielded, He will impress on you truths from His Word. This is a great maintenance for you. If you're going to make it 45 years in the wilderness... If you're going to make it to the end and get that mountain, you're going to have to stay tender to the Holy Spirit's leading. Or are you so cynical because you've been burned that you no longer believe that the Holy Spirit can lead you? He said, quench, don't, don't quench him. Then he says in verse 20, despise not prophesyings. Now, I don't claim to understand all of this, but I know that a prophet is someone who is telling the words of God telling what God intends. And I know that it's easy to despise someone who is telling the words of God, either because you don't like what the person is saying or you don't like the person. He said, despise it not. Check your heart. What do you think about preaching? This is how you make it for the long term. You keep your heart tender towards preaching. Verse 21, prove all things. The, the world says, judge not. Well, the Lord says, judge everything. We understand the difference. This is not the time for that. But, but he said, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. It's, it's not, well, I like this friend because they make me laugh. You've got to prove whether that friend is following the Lord. Hold fast the friends that are good. Well, I really like this particular job or this particular habit or exercise that I have or, 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 or hobby. I just really like it. No, prove all things. Well, I love this comedian. He's hilarious. Prove all things. Well, I just always eat this and I just like that and I like to eat. Prove all things. Yeah, taste it all. But make sure that it lines up with the Lord. Get rid of stuff that's not good. Hold fast that which is good. Maintain a spirit of discernment in your life. This is what God is giving. This is, 
It's so easy, isn't it? It's hard to do, but it's so simple. And then verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. If you can maintain a little bit of fear that maybe it looks bad, so I won't do it. If you can maintain that in your Christian life, it will help you survive a long time. When you get to the point where you say, I don't care what people think anymore. Nobody can show me in the Bible where it's wrong. He didn't say abstain from all evil. He said abstain from all appearance of evil. You know what people want to do today? They want to do things that are evil and say it doesn't even look like evil. It's the opposite. He said don't even do things that look like evil. They're not even talking about evil stuff. This will help maintain your heart. And then lastly, well, two more. Verse 23, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Never forget that God is working. Did you notice verses 16 through 22 are all things that I'm supposed to do? Verse 19 is a possible exception. I'm supposed to quench not the spirit, but that's what I'm supposed to do, right? But verse 23, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Never forget that God is working. If you're going to make it over the long haul, you can't get cynical. God is working. And did you notice spirit and soul and body? That's the, that's the priority, by the way. That's the order God's concerned with. Not body, soul, and spirit like we normally say. Spirit and soul and body. Your walk with God, then your mindset, your emotions, your feelings and then your physical body. That's the order. They're all important. And that was exactly, did you remember, Caleb had another spirit. God preserved him all the way until he was 85 years old. Body, fit as a fiddle, ready to go. God did it. God can do it for you. You say, well, I'm falling apart. Well, then God must be taking you home. If you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing physically, you're doing the best you can, then you say, okay, God must, must want me to kick off for glory. It, didn't he say this? Look what he says. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. Faithful is he that calleth you who else will do it. God is going to preserve you until he says it's time for you to come home. Never forget that God is working. And here's the last one. Believe that God will deliver on his promise. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. It was God's idea to send Caleb in to spy out the land. It was not Caleb's idea. Caleb didn't say, hey, God, what, do you, what if, now, now work with me here, what if we went in to the land of Canaan? What do you think? You know, sometimes it's a very comforting thing to know that it was God's idea for you to be saved. I didn't say that he saved you against your will. God wanted you to be saved before you wanted to be saved. He loved you before you loved him. God has a plan for your life. He has given you a gift. God really cares about you. He loves you. He said, faithful is he that calleth you. You didn't call out to God. By the way, people say, you know, uh, uh, I'm not talking about Calvinism here. 
You wouldn't even known of a God to call out to if it hadn't been for him revealing to me to him to yourself somehow along the way. He's the one that said, hey, I'm here. He's the one that allowed you to open up a line and call him when you did. Faithful is he that calleth you. God is the one that promised you this. Caleb didn't promise himself, I'll tell you, if there's anything I do in my life, I'm going to be a spy, and I'm going to go into Canaan, and I'm going to win me a mountain. It was all God's idea. Faithful is he that calleth you. God is working in your life. He called, hey, listen, if God called you to preach, it's God's responsibility to give you opportunities to preach. You keep your, your sword sharp, you be ready. Hey, if God's called you to be involved in some kind of ministry, whether that be teaching or music or food or whatever, God will, the man's gift maketh room for him. God is going to be the one that works that out. Trust him. If God wants you in glory, he can take you. But until that time, there's still a mountain for you to conquer. You know what the Bible says? It says that Caleb went up to that mountain, to Hebron, And he drove thence the three sons of Anak. The sons of Anak that the ten spies were concerned about and worried said they were too big. Caleb went up there at 85 years old and said, boys, get out of here. In one place, the scripture uses the term expelled. He said, you're expelled. Your attendance is no longer required here. At 85 years old, God gave him victory. God can give you victory, but you've got to survive the wilderness. How do I survive the wilderness? Go back and read 1 Thessalonians 5. Stop demanding that God do the miracle right now because he's probably working on some other things. He's got other fish to fry right now. He's working in other people's lives. It's not the time. Just trust him, and if you can trust him until that time I think God's done. I think this world's wicked. I think Laodicea, blah, 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 blah. I think you've lost your hope. I think you've lost your faith. I think you lost your love. You don't believe that God is working. You don't believe that he can preserve you blameless until the coming of Jesus Christ. You don't believe that he's faithful. I'm not trying to be mean and nasty. Believe me, I've been there Many, many times. What's the point, God? What's the point? And I have to stop, like Caleb did many, many times in those 45 years. And I have to go back in my mind and say, remember that knock at the tent? Hey, Caleb, boss wants you. For what? He didn't say. Moses says to him, hey, I want you to be one of 12 guys to go in and see what God's going to do for our country. And Caleb felt an overwhelming sense of honor and unworthiness. And then he found another feeling come into his heart, determination. Consistency, faithfulness. He was ready to lock and load, and he hit the ground running. But his life kind of took a different turn. Though no one joined me, still I will follow. And Caleb followed. And he followed through a lot of skeletons and a lot of choking dust. He followed through a lot of hot days. And there was many a day he wished he had just one of them grapes 
but he trusted that God could do it again. He said, God, you promised me back there, and I haven't seen the fulfillment. I'm trusting you to do it. Christian, let me encourage you. Don't give up. You can be a Philadelphian living in the middle of Laodiceans. God will give you the grace if you'll just follow him.